has recently come to my attention that people think I'm saying dumb bitch when I'm saying down bitch. <laughs> I am here to tell you I have never now nor will I ever call anyone a dumb bitch. Hi, down bitches. Hi, DBs. We are off this week for the Memorial Day holiday. But we're not going to leave you empty-handed. We love you. We love you. We would never do that. So we thought we would drop in an episode from our Patreon that we call the Drama Club. So all you DBs can check it out and see all of the fun that we're having over there. And this one is from one of our favorite shows that we have ever covered. Southern Fried Homicide. That's right. We're giving you our very first episode of Southern Fried Homicide, an introduction to one of our favorite hosts, Shanna Banana from Louisiana, that we met in Atlanta. And there's tons of my swamp talking here. A lot of it. And we love Southern Fried Homicide so much that we gave you two bonus episodes. We normally do 10 episodes of a show if we like it, but this time we did 12. So if you want to listen to the other 11 or any of the other stuff we have going on there, you can just check us out on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash I think not. Yeah, there are hundreds of ad-free episodes. There's a couple of our old Friday Night Lives. There's some question and answer. I don't know. There's a whole ruckus of stuff in there just waiting for your ears. Don't forget my nudes. And <laughs> my nudes, League. And then next week, we'll be back with our regular episodes. And we hope you enjoy this ad-free episode of Southern, Southern Fried Homicide. Homicide. We love you. Yeehaw! Y'all, Ellen is at home recording remotely, and I'm sitting in her chair and also what is Patrick's chair. And I don't know what's happening, but I feel audacious. I feel extra sassy. I feel like I have the power! Do you feel like you ate glass for breakfast? <laughs> I don't feel like He-Man. I feel like fucking She-Ra. <laughs> Give me a little cranberries. Uh, there it is. There it is. <laughs> Yellen Marsh. How are you? We're in the drama club. Aren't you so glad we're in the drama club right now? I really am. Yeah. You know, I I feel like I can I can cut up a little bit more than usual. Be a little dirtier than usual. Tell them how Grammy and Tony award-winning Cindy Lauper is riding your ass like a pony. Tell them real fast. <laughs> Y'all listen, I've always had a, a special relationship with Cindy Lauper. I feel like we get along, we see each other. She loves you, know, you. She does, but she's very particular, and I forget what it's like being in a rehearsal space with her. And it's just, it's it's a you don't have to be you don't have to be politically it's correct. a test in patience it is a test in patience we're because... the drama club what do you think she's here on the five no she's no, not listen, she's let not me here. tell you she's like all right let's do your song and i'm like tonight she's like all right stop 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 i'm like i said two i did two notes two fucking notes when you get a text from your best friend that says Cindy Lauper is driving you crazy, you're like, my life is weird. My life is weird. Oh, God. Anyway, but we are here. We are here for you, Drama Club. We have a new series. What do you think of this series? First of all, it's wild. It's also darker than I anticipated. Same. Well, we just took a shot in the dark as to where to start. We didn't, we usually vet these episodes, but we kind of thought surely with the show called Southern Fried Homicide, it would be campy. It's 
it's stark. It is dark. It's dork-sided, uh, tear card reading slack uh, uh, gorgals. Yeah. You all, yeah. this is Southern Fried Homicide, Season 1, Episode 1. This is the real title. I didn't rewrite this. Yes, tell him. Kissing Cousins. Cousins. And yeah. my whole thought was there are billions of people, and they were like, you know, I'm actually going to try for my cousin. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, some people are like, if you can't kiss your cousin, who can you yeah, kiss? Yeah, I guess. Anybody else is the answer. Yeah. Folks down south like to say that families are a bit like fudge, mostly sweet with a few nuts. They were truly out of control, almost to the point of insanity. Crazy would come out in the very worst way for the Newsoms and the Lynches, two wealthy families united by marriage and divided by a nasty divorce. We could see a trail of blood leading from the back door into the kitchen, down the hallway, through her mother's room. It's the true sense of sometimes fact is stranger than fiction. This is the story of a feud so bitter, it leaves nine people dead. It was, in so many aspects, the ultimate Southern Gothic horror story. We have a host, not just yeah. a narrator. We have a full-on human being here. <laughs> As opposed to what? Well, I mean, just like a voice, you know? Her name is <laughs> right. Shayna Forrestal. She's wearing a lovely periwinkle floral dress with a set of pearls around her neck. She's sitting on a porch in a wicker chair holding, I don't know, some old book. Maybe it's To Kill a Mockingbird. Maybe it's the Bible. Who to say? And she's sitting with an iced tea. Exactly. And then she tells us... This is a murder mystery stranger than fiction, and a family saga so twisted, it still haunts the South to this very day. Uh, it can't be any stranger than this accent you're giving us. This is the Dick Van Dyke of Southern accents, because I'm sorry, this is not a great Southern accent. I feel like I can say that as somebody who, did you know I'm from the South? No, say more. I am, and this accent, yeah, it's not great. Excuse me, Joey. Oh, hello, Shayna. I'm just trying to earn a living, okay? This is my real voice, uh-huh. and this is my Southern Fried Homicide voice. The director asked for a Southern accent, and that's where I landed. <laughs> is that your real accent, Joey? Uh, it sure is. And you know what? I would rather uh, eat glass than judge anybody. So you know what? I take my words back. You're doing wonderfully. You're doing beautifully. You sound like I couldn't tell if it was you or Dolly Parton. Thank you. <laughs> also, Joey, you are not better than me, okay? Keep up the good work, Shayna. Okay, thanks. Do you think she's gone now? Yeah, I think she's gone. I'm still here. I hear you. Well, she basically says that (laughs) even though they're really nice in the South, they have their fair share of drama. And knowing what I know about your family, I don't believe that for a minute. Hey, you know what? Let me tell you something. People talk about crazy people in the South. You know, uh, you Yankees and you like weird West Coast hippie people put, you know, (gasps) uh, bathing in patchouli. Y'all like to hide your crazy family members away. Not us. We put them right on the front porch and say, have you met Uncle Bob? (laughs) Good luck. You'll you'll enjoy Uncle Bob. It's colorful Uncle, stories. You slow pan to Uncle Bob, and Uncle Bob's just eating checkers. <laughs> it all started way back in 1968 with a co-ed named Susie Newsom. Prim and proper as they come, Susie Newsom's upbringing is rooted in traditional Southern values. Susie was very popular. She was a beautiful girl. She was a sweetheart to one of the college fraternities. 
which says a lot. We're going to go back to 1968. A woman by the name of Susie Newsom. She was a Southern belle. And we see a dramatization of a woman putting on her makeup. And I know it's a dramatization and not a real life home video because there is on screen text that says <laughs> this. Is, is that a law? Do they have to put that there? Like they're like, I'm someone might think so. this is real. We I was like, to- oh, you mean they didn't have HD cameras in 1968? Right, dramatization, just in case. I don't want to get any letters. No, no. And and we are in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And you know what? It's funny because this was the time of the hippie movement, and uh, Miss Susie wanted nothing to do with that. Turns out she was allergic to patchouli. She wanted nothing to do with the flower power children, you know, you and your cousins over there in San Francisco. Um, she could not be further from a hippie. In fact... <laughs> She advocated for the Vietnam War. Yeah, that's that's what we're dealing with here. There's this investigative reporter by the name of George Bragg, and he is going to drag her several times. He's like, I mean, she was pro-Vietnam. She's like, oh, yeah, that war? I believe in it. Now keep doing what you're doing. You know what that is. That is good for the economy. Also, she was a debutante. Yes. You know what a debutante is? Was that a thing when you were growing up? No, we weren't in that world. That was for um that's for the hoity toity women. Yeah. My family was not part of the hoity-toity women. They were part of the, the God-fearing women. While many girls her age are squeezing into miniskirts, this Dixieland debutante stays true to her signature matching sweater set in pearls. She may look like an angel, but she could be a real demon twat when things didn't go her way. She had a very short temper, and if the smallest thing went wrong, Susie was flying off the handle. Yeah. And and that's because Susie was like, it's my way or the highway. Doesn't Susie sound really fun? Susie sounds like a blast. Susie also feels like she should call her therapist. Yeah. Susie sounds like Cindy Lauper right now. <laughs> yeah. I want you to do it this way. So, um... In her junior year at university, Susie meets a guy named Tom Lynch. And Tom Lynch was her boyfriend, and he was going to be a dentist. Yes. Tom Lynch was a good-looking guy, and yes, he is here. So at some point, he decides to bring Susie home to Louisville, Kentucky, because he's super excited to introduce Susie to his mom, Dolores. And he was like, oh, my God, she's so sweet. She's so perfect. My mom is going to love her. What could go wrong? Dolores didn't like Susie because she was very pretentious. She absolutely flaunted her name, who she was, where she came from, and that rubbed Dolores the wrong way. And then Tom was like, I mean, sorry, Mom, she hobs a mean knob. Like, I I am sticking to that. Sorry, Mom. She's the only one I know in 1970 who'll do butt stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and so in 1970, they got married. Yeah, nothing was gonna... Ain't no stopping them now. Well, one person really saw the dark side of Susie, and that's Jane Lynch from Glee. <laughs> I have to put in a call to the Ohio Secretary of State notifying them I will no longer be carrying photo ID. You know why? People should know who I am. Yeah, Jane Lynch. I mean, who knew? (laughs) Yeah, turns out that's the wrong Jane, honey. Tom's sister was named Janie. Oh. And, uh, well, she set Susie off because she was bridezilla because sister Janie showed up in her bridesmaid's dress and it was wrinkled, crinkled, balled up, a hot mess. And Susie was like, 
I would sooner eat a raccoon's ass before letting you walk down the aisle in my wedding in a wrinkled dress. And actually, it was a big deal. Yeah. They got in a huge fight. So, and then Tom was like, Tom didn't do anything. The wedding ended up happening, but it almost did not happen. Right. So let's just say that Tom's family, not a huge fan of Susie. Yeah. They were not getting matching tattoos anytime soon. At the beginning of the marriage, we were happy. We got along fine. We had some friends and it was uh, was a happy time. But there is one dark cloud hanging over there happily ever after. The couple's new home is mere miles from Tom's parents, the Lynches. A little too close for comfort as far as Susie's concerned. Now, I will say, the greatest thing about my old in-laws, my ex-in-laws, they were so, honestly, they were so good at living on another continent. (laughs) They were so good at it. They were the best (laughs) at living an ocean a fucking way from me. I don't want to play the ex-mother-in-law game. I don't want to dip into the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law trope. But I honestly would rather ingest a tire than ever have to speak or be around that woman again. And I would like to watch you attempt to ingest a tire. So Mama Dolores, Tom's mom, really inserted herself, kind of sticking her nose in, a little bit of a know-it-all. I do not know what that is like. Um, She was a bit pushy. <laughs> I, I, I could make a ho- Ellen, how long are you going to be breastfeeding that child? I was like, as long as I fucking want to stick my titties out in public and stick them in her mouth, Margaret. Thank you yeah. for asking. Oh, you said her name. Oh, we're going with first names. It's, it's the drama club. They can look it up. So Susie did not like her mother-in-law. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dolores wanted to help out with the cooking and the cleaning, and Susie was like, how about I help you off of a cliff? Yeah. They they hated each other, but listen, there were grandkids on the way, and Dolores wasn't gonna fuck that up, okay? And then poor sweet Tom Lynch says, thought it was unfortunate, but, you know, I think a lot of wives don't get along with their mother-in-laws. I mean... (sighs) I get it. Like, uh, but I will say this. Behind every disrespectful man is a mom that I personally want to cunt punt for spoiling that boy rotten. I'm fine. I'm totally fine. Yeah, I think, you know, there are certain people who teach their sons that the sun shines out of their ass and it ain't true. And then it's a rude awakening when they turn 40 and they're like, wait a minute. Why isn't the world revolving around me? It's like, because it never did, babe. Yeah. It never did. But Tom continues to side with Susie and they have two kids John and Jim and now they're a family of four and Tom is here and he was like she was actually a really good mother yeah I mean listen I think Tom felt bad because he you know he moved her to Louisville while he was studying at you know dentistry school whatever the shit you call that and so I think he felt bad she was not in her element Um, and then Tom says she was a good mom she took care of the boys took them out to play dressed them well fed them all the time played with them. I'm like, babe, is feeding your child considered gold star parenting? Because that that seems like the law. Yeah, we could could raise our standards a little bit, Tom, (laughs) I feel like. So eventually Tom graduates from dentistry school. Is that what it's called? He becomes a dentist. And he's like, guess what? We're moving to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And Susie was like, did you become a what? Yeah. And Tom loved New Mexico. He loved the life there. Susie's didn't like it. She no, didn't like it. because here's the thing. Susie was used to being like a local celebrity. You know, her grandfather was a politician. Her aunt was like the first ever female elected, what was it, judge? Like chief of staff. 
Judge Judy something. Yes, that sounds legitimate. Yeah. Thank you for clearing that up. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. But the, she, you know, to, not for nothing, but she came from like what she thought was a prestigious family and she gets to New Mexico and nobody gave a fiddler's fuck about her. Susie loved it. Susie loved. She was like, you know, I can walk in anywhere and get a table. And people in Albuquerque were like, Move it, you pro-war commie. Like, nobody (laughs) cared. So she kind of became depressed. She sure did, and she became somewhat reclusive. And it sucks because it affected the boys. Yeah. She, She didn't let the boys play outside with other kids. She didn't really go out much. And then it started to affect their marriage. After nine years of marriage, Tom and Susie's relationship has hit rock bottom. So in the fall of 1979, when Susie's grandfather passes away... She and the boys returned to North Carolina for good. And Tom was sad about it, but he was like, "Uh, listen, I knew it was coming. I knew it. So she left. She goes back and she has to move in with her parents for a minute, Florence and Bob. And they were excited she was home, but they could sense something was off. And she was complaining all the time. She was complaining about Tom. Tom worked too much. Tom changed. And then uh, our best friend, Shady Shayna, was like, I mean, yeah, he changed. He was happy now. Yeah. (gasps) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Shayna, (laughs) drag her. I mean, the thing is, is that her family was like, yeah, she's missing a few crayons in that box. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, this is not, she's being unreasonable. And the way she talked about Tom, they were like, look, you could say a lot of things about Tom, but like, Tom's a good guy and Tom's a good dad. She was really mad because, well, not long after the divorce, Tom started dating his dental assistant, Kathy. Uh, Very cliche, but it happens. And Susie didn't like that. So she started using the kids as weapons. And I really hate that. Don't weaponize your kids, man. Don't do that shit. She keeps the kids from him for like two years. She hired some pit bull of a lawyer and then finally they settled on three weeks a year you know that's that's not enough time with your kids it's not and it's fucked up because it's the boys who suffer they didn't get to see their dad for two years because the custody battle was so long and drawn out i'm like okay honey go get a hobby yeah um and you know all of this took its toll on tom and the boys but it really took a toll on Susie. so much so that people in the town were like have you seen Susie lately yeah but her hair looks like the back end of a Muscovy duck. She looks like one of those Malamore ducks. You know what those Malamore ducks are? It's those ducks that stick their head in the ground and they whistle out their ass and you can heal it for a Malamore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's my dad's joke. Love you, dad, wherever you are. That's one of your best. <laughs> Yeah, tip of 40 to his memory. But, um, (laughs) and then Jim the reporter decides to really kick Susie while she's down, and he says, She looked haggard, uh, lost weight, her hair was unkept. Everybody that saw her thought she just didn't look the same. Jim, I mean, you you could use a trim. As well. I mean, uh, yeah, let's you not do that. You could use a a good night serum. But the thing is, is that everybody was talking about Susie because her behavior was strange. They're like, Susie has been acting nuttier than a five-pound fruitcake. All right? She's unrecognizable. So the family decides to get Susie's uncle, a one Dr. Fred Klenner, involved. And Dr. Klenner has two reputations. One for being brilliant in some circles and one for being absolutely, positively nuts. In other circles. Same. Um, 
<laughs> but Dr. Klenner diagnosed Susie with multiple sclerosis. And he goes, yeah. listen, not to worry. I've got the solution. You're going to be fine. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to give you vitamin C intravenously. It's called vitamin therapy. You're going to be fine. Do you know how bad that is for you? Do you know? I mean, obviously, you know, but like large levels of vitamin C every day will kill you. She bought into the fact that he was healing her. Was she getting better physically? Yes, she had energy. Vitamin C gives people energy. Mentally, Susie was not getting better at all. It turns out that Dr. Klenner's son, Susie's cousin, Fritz, also works in the office. Now, they skimmed over this in the episode, and I would really, really like someone to connect the dots. Because when I watched this, I was like, oh, Fritz is a doctor and Dr. Klenner's a doctor. Fritz pretended to be a doctor. What? Yeah, that's not in the episode. It is some full, catch me if you can, Frank Abagnale shit. He was pretending to be a doctor. So I want to know what older Dr. Klenna was doing. He's like, come on to, come on over here, son. You put on this white lab coat and you tell everyone you're a doctor and we'll bamboozle the fuck out of these Southern bitches. How did that happen? I because have Because I told you, do. in the South, we don't hide away our crazy people. We hire them as our dental assistants. But didn't you think he was a doctor <laughs> the way they made it out in the episode? Well, I sure did, but we learned pretty quickly that Fritz is on the Fritz. Yeah. Okay. He and Susie bonded over, you know, they hadn't seen each other in years and Fritz had also gone through a divorce and uh, they, you know, they consoled each other on that. But Fritz was a highly paranoid person. Paranoid about Armageddon. That's right. Armageddon, not this Armageddon. Yeah, not that Armageddon. That was that was a, a pretty good Armageddon. No, I'm talking about like he legit was worried about the end of the world. Yeah, he was a doomsdayer. Yeah. And so, okay, so Fritz, as my grandmother would say, is a, he's a little funny. Uh, <laughs> that's that's what my grandmother would call somebody. He felt very much at home with the survivalist people. He stocked his personal equipment accordingly. He could have lived off the wild for weeks between his collection of firearms and his camping gear. You know there's like a whole society of these people called preppers? Uh, No. Oh, yeah. It's like, you know, we're talking people who have stockpiles of rice and peanut butter in their basement. It's people like doomsdayers who have like stockpiles. And I don't know how they do it because I remember at the beginning of the lockdown where they're like, everyone grab, you know, some snacks for a couple days. We don't know what this thing is going to be. And I bought enough snacks for what felt like weeks. And I went through most of them in the first two nights. I was like, if this shit really goes down, I'm going to have to eat my leg while watching The Housewives. I mean. (laughs) Not eat my leg. Yeah. I was like, how many Reese's peanut butter cups do we have left? I don't know if I'll make it. Well, Fritz was prepared for the end of the world for real. A lot of people thought he was not well, but Susie was like, you know what you're selling? I'm buying. Yeah. Yeah. So he started to fill her head with the idea that Tom was going to kidnap the kids and take them back to New Mexico. And also, in addition to being a not doctor, he also convinced Susie and everybody else that he was in the CIA and had a green beret. So, yeah. Susie is picking up everything that Fritz is putting down and Fritz and Susie start spending a lot of time together. Do you guys feel where this is going right now? Oh yeah, not just like he was coming by 
the house. Again, Susie was living with her parents and he was coming by the house a lot and people were talking and that's when her parents became suspicious that these two cousins are groping for trout in a peculiar river, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? I know. I know what you're... I, did we mention their cousins? <laughs> so, in typical, you know, small town fashion, everybody's talking and then Captain Obvious swoops in, you know, the guy who shamed her about her hair and he says... In North Carolina and probably everywhere, First cousins just don't date. Um, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna beg you to take out the word probably in that statement. <laughs> I'm not gonna insist. I'm just gonna ask politely. Please take Can out you the word imagine, probably. Could you imagine if I showed up one day and I said, I met somebody, and by met somebody, I rekindled with my cousin and we're playing Bam Bam and the Ham. How do you feel about this? Yeah. I mean, Susie like was like, no, listen, we're not having sex. And everyone was like, okay, you like Susie's mom was like, hey, honey, can we talk? I noticed you've changed a lot lately. I noticed you cut your hair and you don't wear your pearls or your cute sweater sets anymore. Also, are you fucking your cousin? <laughs> like, why would you put your sweet mom in the position to ask if you're hobbing your cousin's knob? Don't Yo- do that. <laughs> So Susie's like, listen, please don't make me choose between my parents and my cousin. That puts me in a peculiar position because I'm going to choose my cousin. And she And she out. does. She sure did. She said, fuck y'all. I'm moving into this apartment complex with Fritz and the two boys. Yeah. Susie became a completely different person. Even her beloved aunt saw her niece spiral out of control once she got into the relationship with Fritz Klinner. It was a relationship that shouldn't have been according to the standards of of Susie's family. Isn't that according to everyone? Isn't that according to law? No. So I googled, can you marry your first cousin in North Carolina? Turns out you can. (laughs) But... If you scroll down on the page, if you Google it, scroll down because it gives you a little piece of advice and the advice was free. And this is a quote. It says, this is a quote from the website. It is also important to be sure. Oh God, I'm scared. This is word for word. It's also important to be sure that your partner is your cousin and not your half sibling. Are you joking? Wow, North North Carolina really showed up like, y'all, fucking your cousin is a lot like like wearing a tube top and roller skates to church, it's technically allowed, but it's really frowned upon. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, <laughs> Shayna, who is slowly becoming one of my favorite narrators, says, For now, the kissing cousins make for juicy gossip over sweet tea. I was like, Shayna, I... <laughs> Shut up, Shayna! Yeah, now you're getting out of hand, Shayna. <laughs> So also, this is when her family was like, something's wrong. Because it turns out, now, Susie, remember, Miss Sorority Sweetheart, Pearls Wearing, Dressmaking, whatever, Prim and Proper Susie started hunting. Mm-hmm. And they were like, she's hunting? That, how did he get her to do that? That was that was a big red flag for her family, okay? So eventually, Tom does get to see the boys more. And in 1983, the boys fly out to Albuquerque for a visit. And they don't look great. 
No. They look gaunt and a little malnourished. And the amount of vitamins that they were pumping in them were making them sick. And remember, they were like doomsdayers. They didn't get to go outside and get fresh air and get that natural vitamin D. They didn't look well. Yeah, I'm going to say this now. The kids, it, it's not funny. It's mm-hmm. it's actually really sad what these boys were put through. And I want y'all to know that we take that seriously because it's... It's very sad. The boys are the real victims of this. Yeah. And so Tom was like, okay, can I spend more time with my boys? And this is the thing. They weren't, Susie didn't care about their well-being. Susie cared about winning. She's like, no. A year goes by. The next summer, Tom and the boys are together again in New Mexico, planning a trip to visit Tom's mother, Dolores, and sister Janie in Kentucky. But that vacation will never come to pass. So now it's July 22nd, 1984. And Mama Dolores leaves church. Y'all buckle up. I, I really, I, if you have a Xanax, if you have a prescription for Xanax, I, I suggest you take one now. Um, And uh, say a prayer, do a little hot yoga and come back. Um, Mama Dolores leaves church and heads straight home to have breakfast with daughter Janie. Then the rest of Sunday and Monday, no one hears from Dolores, which is strange because Dolores was very active, very social in her community. And so a friend was like, I'm going to go by and check on her. And when they arrive, y'all, they find Dolores in her driveway, deceased. And she'd been shot and killed. Yeah. So Detective Sergeant Lynn Nobles is there, and he's the one who sees Dolores first. She had been shot from behind, but then they went in the house, and Sister Janie was also deceased in the house. So everyone is, like, sad and terrified because they were killed with a sniper rifle, and then the inside kind of looked staged, like people just, like, made a mess and tried to make it look ramp-sacked. <laughs> sorry, I know, I wrote down ramp-sacked, too, because how can we not? But really, Really, they didn't do their best, but whoever did this set it up to make it look like a robbery gone wrong. But the two women were clearly ambushed, and that had this community freaked the fuck out. I would too. Yeah. It's a horrific crime. What's more, police are thinking it was a targeted hit. But without any evidence from the scene, the only lead detectives can turn up is a loose one at best. A gentleman saw an unusual vehicle that day that he had never seen in the area, and he described it as a black Chevy Blazer. I will never know how people know details like that, but he didn't see the driver. He didn't catch the license plate. So without any of that information, they're like, okay, I mean, it's the South, and it's like a Chevy Blazer, and everything kind of goes cold. They have nothing to go on from this tragedy. So now Tom is obviously horrified, like crippled with grief, and he, nor the the police have any idea who would target them. I mean, they were they were sweet church people, you know? And Susie starts telling people that, oh, it, I'm sure it was Tom's fault because he was involved with drug dealers who were after the family money. Yeah, I was like, Susie, go back to your fucking cave of peanut butter. He is not involved <laughs> in drugs. Go stash your bags of rice and shut your mouth. This is, this is awful. Well, and also, you know, Susie's family was like, I, I am very concerned for her because, mm-hmm. listen, y'all, again, you can say what you want about Tom, right? You could be mad that he left you and is with someone else and fell in love, but like that man loved his mother mm-hmm. and his sister desperately. So, you know, while in Kentucky, Tom gets flowers from Susie's parents, Florence and Bob. This gesture really meant a lot to Tom, but also it opened up a line of communication between them because listen, Florence and Bob knew what was up 
right? And I think that they recognize that Susie was no longer a fit mother. Mm-hmm. They knew that Tom was a, a decent human being and good person and a good father and took a great deal of interest in the kids. I had talked to the Newsoms a couple of times. And finally, I got to uh, the point where I asked Bob if he would testify for me. He didn't hesitate. He said, yes, I'll testify. Testify, that is, at the next child custody hearing, which can't come soon enough as far as the Newsoms are concerned. You know that happened in my family. What? My Uncle Frank, who's my dad's brother, testified on behalf of my mother in the custody hearing for me and my brothers when we were little. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a big thing. We're still close to my Uncle Frank. My cousins that, like, I hang out with in California, they have no relation to my mom. They're my paternal cousins. Wow. But none of us speak to my dad. Oh, yeah, that's a big deal in a family. It's a big deal. So Uncle Frank doesn't even talk to your dad. But Uncle Frank, just like Florence and Bob, had our best interest at heart. Yeah. Uncle Frank was like, that is my brother, but these kids need to be with their mom. Big deal. And that's the way it should be. It should be in the best interest of the children. Take your fucking ego out of this. I mean, uh, yes. Good. Honestly, this is what I have to say to your Uncle Frank. Yeah. Here's the other thing. Fritz and Susie were playing with guns. Yeah. Like they were playing with guns with the kids and things had gotten super strange. Basically, they were manic and they were paranoid that the government was going to invade their home. Yeah, they made the kids wear camouflage clothes. They couldn't go outside. They couldn't play sports. And when they did go outside, they made them wear camouflage coats because they thought the government was going to kidnap their kids. It seems like what started as a preoccupation for Fritz has now become a true calling. In one year... He registered for 52 permits for weapons. That's disturbing. He truly was stockpiling artillery in preparation for the end of the world. That is wild. I can't do math, but I feel like that's one gun a week. (laughs) Thank you. That is one. I didn't even think about that, Yellen. Yeah. That is one gun a week. It's a lot of guns. Wow. So between this and the fact that the boys were never let out of the house, Tom was really hoping to get custody. So now we hit May 18th, 1983, the weekend before Susie's dad, Bob, is going to testify. And then my new best friend, Shayna, says, But this sordid family saga has only just begun. Shayna, I was like, what are we doing? The saga is in full force. Oh my gosh. So the thing that worried Florence and Bob were that these kids were impressionable. Kids believe what they're told. Of course. Did we all really believe a giant bunny put a shit ton of plastic eggs full of M&Ms in our backyards? Kids are so fucking stupid. This is not an exaggeration. When I was six, I was like, huh, Santa Claus's handwriting looks a lot like my dad's handwriting. You've always been the most observant person. And do you know what my mom said? What? Santa Claus learns your parents' handwriting so he mimics the handwriting of all the houses that he goes to. I was like, all right, Anna Rita, you got one more year. I'll buy it for another year. (laughs) And then the following year, I was like, huh, funny that Santa Claus has the same wrapping paper as us. Oh. And my mom was like, okay, Santa's not fucking real, all right? You're seven. Shut the fuck up. Don't ruin it for your brothers. 
Listen, I believed that speaking in tongues was a language that only God understood and that someone in the church could interpret those things. I I think everybody who grew up in that insane Christian world of the 80s and 90s will tell you we were indoctrinated into insanity. And to your point, kids will believe anything. So... Y'all, again, I feel like, yes, this is a true crime podcast. I just feel like I should give you a heads up because this is crazy. Honey, we do true crime for a living. I know, I know. Were you here for Love, Honor, Betray? Did you remember those episodes? I know. That man was selling spleens on the black market. I know. Susie's parents, Bob and Florence Newsom, went to visit his mom, Hattie, on a Saturday night. Did not come back on Sunday. When a family friend went to check on the Newsoms, they discovered a horrific scene. Yeah, I don't feel like I have enough nosy friends. I feel like I could go missing and people wouldn't notice as fast. Ellen, are you joking? No, I mean, you you would notice. Ellen, let me tell you something. What? I haven't told you this. What? I check your location every single day. Do you really? Every single day. I go, let me just make sure she's all right. I Never, I'm a horrible friend. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be better about checking it. I just don't have any nosy neighbors, but I'm your nosy neighbor. I okay? am procrastinating. So when the family friend goes over, Bob and Florence and Grandma Hattie have all been shot in the house. I mean, remember, this is a very prominent family, and when the details of this murder get out, all of Winston-Salem is like, what the f- Fuck. Yeah. And then police find a pile of charred papers at the crime scene, and they notice that Bob's suitcase had been left open. So they're like, whatever had been burned obviously was removed from this suitcase. Briefcase. Sorry, from this, did I say suitcase? Yeah, but like, you know how like dads used to carry, like like my dad had a briefcase, I'm like, that looks uncomfortable. Detectives have to wonder if Susie's father had some business enemies no one knew about. But when they talked to Susie's brother, Robert Newsom, and he mentioned Susie's in-laws, the Lynches, being murdered. The investigation quickly changes gears. I mean, come on. it's The similarities are there. And so investigators find out that Bob, they didn't know this. They find out, oh, wait, Bob was going to testify against Susie in that custody hearing? That is a huge red flag and a motive. Yeah, and so they're like, okay, so maybe this... Murder has to do with the custody battle. And Susie knew. Susie knew she could lose the boy. She knew that she was facing that. Yeah. So Tom calls the police once he heard what happened to the Newsoms. And so the cops call Susie. And they were like, hi, I'm so sorry to hear of the passing of your mom. Our deepest condolences. Can we sit down and chat? And she was like, you know what? I would really love to, but I have plans. I, I You know that I've had these reservations at the Golden Corral and that buffet ain't going to eat itself. Would love to. Yeah. Sorry. She's like, I'm so sorry. They just refurbished the chocolate fountain yeah. and I, there's nothing more I love than fried pickles and uh, dipping my fingers in some pouring chocolate. Yeah, I would love um, to. Another time. Another and they're time. Like, okay, remember when your parents and your grandmother were shot and killed and you want to go to dinner with your friend? Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. When police finally questioned Susie, she hardly plays the part of grieving daughter. I found her to be charming and almost bubbly in her personality. Very bizarre, once again, to think that she just lost her immediate family. 
Susie thought that the money that Tom was getting towards, you know, his lawyers was coming from his mother, Dolores. Yeah. So, you know, if Dolores is not there to fund his lawyer, then this will all go away. Right. You know, that's what she's thinking. And they're like, all right, well, there's motive. And also remember, they have a year's worth of gun. They have a gun of the week club over in their house. But there is no actual evidence tying her to the crime, there's just all this weird behavior. And also, we have to say, Susie is about to inherit $500,000 from her family. Right. Right? And some of Susie's family came forward to the police convinced that Susie and Fritz were involved. So, eventually the cops are like, you know what, let's just go to Susie and Fritz's apartment to try and get Fritz's alibi. And, um, he says, oh, I I was camping. I was on a camping trip with my buddy. Uh, here's this receipt that I conveniently kept from when I rented, uh, the campsite. Yeah. And they're like, and they were like, that's okay. that's weird. You have that. I mean, I have 47 Target receipts and like 108 McDonald's receipts in my car, but I don't have any of them readily available to show an alibi. Absolutely not. They were like, how convenient. Yeah. And so and he was like, everything's cool here. Camping. Love it. Here's the receipt. Fritz offers up the name of his camping buddy, Ian Perkins, a 21 year old college student living in Virginia. What is it they say about honor and thieves? Oh, right. There is none among them. Police track Ian down, and it doesn't take them long to get the answers they need. Ian is so nervous. This man cracks immediately. Yeah. And he's like, y'all, he's like, this is, he's like, I I did drive Fritz to the Newsome home, but I swear to God, I was not involved in the murder. I I, I had no idea what Fritz was going to do. And apparently Fritz had told Ian that he was a contracted operative for the CIA and he had been hired to murder a drug dealer. That was a story that Ian bought hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. And he also, this wasn't in the episode, but he also said, Ian, he's like, so maybe if you help me on this mission, maybe one day you you can be in the CIA. I can teach you how to be in the CIA. And Ian was like, I mean, I was doing a good thing, right? Like, I was helping these drug dealers because because he's in the CIA? And they're just like, oh my God. No, yeah. no. And so Ian feels horrible. He is He feels terrible. And he's like, I will do whatever I can to help with this case. He's like, I feel terrible for what happened. I feel par- responsible. Like, I will do everything I can. And they're like, well, actually, great. Because you're going to wear a wire and meet up with Fritz. And Which that would seems, help a lot. That seems crazy to me. Let me get this straight. They're going to take this kid, this little kid who was shaken like a leaf, who folded like a, like a bad game of poker and was like, okay, okay, I'll tell you, who thought he was on a CIA mission to go wiretap this man who has potentially slash allegedly, I'm putting air quotes, killed five people. And they're like, don't worry. All we want you to do is wear a wire. Get this information for us. Yes, he has a shit ton of guns. No, he's not in the CIA. It'll be great. Thank you so much. This does not seem like a well thought out plan to me. Ian was very nervous. I think at that point he was petrified of Fritz. And he would not shut up. He would answer his own questions. He wouldn't allow Fritz to complete a sentence. We're all pounding our dashboards of our car saying, Ian, just shut up. Let the man talk. So there's no confession, but guess what Fritz showed up in? Remember that black Chevy Blazer that someone in Mama Dolores' neighborhood saw driving around in Louisville? They were like, that truck. I've never seen that truck. It was the same exact truck that Fritz showed up in. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously there's no confession. Ian hasn't really helped 
do anything other than make Fritz super paranoid. So now the cops are like, fuck, he's going to run. We're going to have to follow him. So they follow him to his apartment. And the cops pull up to the house and they see that they're packing this car. They're packing it with camping gear. They're packing it with guns, military style guns. So Fritz gets in the car, drives off, and they try and cut him off at the stoplight. But then Fritz leans out of his car with a machine gun and starts shooting. And one of the cops was like, I looked at Susie. She was a statue. She was not scared. She had no fear, no emotion. So then they blast past the police and they have a high speed chase. Where is Shauna with the fucking iced tea and the wicker furniture? My God, it, it was the chase I did not see coming. The chase continues until out of nowhere, Fritz suddenly stops. We were on a straight stretch of road and was kind of watching and just saw the this large black blazers in front of us one moment and the next instant there was a huge crack of sound like thunder and it just disappeared in this huge cloud of smoke y'all I did not see this coming when I was noting this episode one second the truck was there and then it was completely gone mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just wrote why. I mean, there it, there was a bomb under Susie's seat, and I mean, and those babies were inside. It killed all four of them. And all I kept thinking was, poor fucking Tom. Poor yeah. fucking Tom. It just breaks my heart. I'm sorry. It, it actually makes me a little... It it just makes me so sad because these kids were so trusting. They were force-fed all this dogma about the end of the world. These innocent kids just believing their mother and being like, okay, mom, yeah, we're going to go. We're going to go. Let's go. Oh, the government's coming for... Okay, let's go. These little boys. And in this case, do you know they charged Ian Perkins? They charged him. He served four months for being an accessory after the fact. That's fucked up. I know. I was like, he was not only manipulated, he also helped you out. They still freaking charged him. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's... That is insane. Obviously, he had no idea. What the fuck? Yeah. So also not in the episode, when the police searched Fritz Klenner's household, they found obviously all those firearms, explosives, prescription drugs, and 30,000 rounds of ammunition, grenades, illegal military equipment. I mean, it... it it's really, really scary. What Wasn't it fun talking about cousins fucking at the beginning of this show? What a very tragic end to a tragic tale. But then you know what the host says? Friends are forever. Cousins are for life. What? Excuse me, Joey. You better watch yourself. You know I do do a murder crime mystery show. There's no telling what could happen if you keep making fun of me. <laughs> okay. Shayna, you took us through it, Shayna. Okay? <laughs> Say something funny. Well, you ruined Christmas for your brothers, but do you remember that time you ruined Pride for me when you said gay people really don't deserve rights? When did I say that? (laughs) When you saw me show up in my tube top and skates, okay? On Fifth Avenue. It's gay. It's pride. It's gay pride. And you just You know what I say? It's gay. It's pride. Keep that shit inside. Are we ever going to learn this? 
no, I don't want to. Somebody else was like, I miss the old music. I'm like, I'm sorry. It's not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> that, along with Patrick, are not, not coming, coming back. Not coming back. I'm sorry. All right. We will see how Southern Fried Homicide treats us. And we love Shayna. You know, she's a singer. Oh, is she? She is from Louisiana. And she released a song for Mardi Gras. And it's like a jazz-influenced Mardi Gras song. Oh. I love you, Joey. I hope Southern Fried Homicide is a little bit nicer to us next week. And y'all, can I just say, I think it goes without saying, but don't fuck your cousins. Please don't. It never works out for anybody, and people are just going to talk about you. Don't do it. My lord, y'all. Thank you for taking this journey with us. I really wish you were in front of me because I'd really line you all up and hug you. I actually need a hug after this episode. Aw, I love you, Joey. I love you too, Yellen, and I love you all, DBs. Love you, DBs. Bye. Bye. Bye.